doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Nolan about Functional Neurological Disorder, or FND. This condition is diagnosed when a patient is experiencing neurological dysfunction, but their symptoms can't be explained by any known neurological disease. So in that way, this could be referred to as a diagnosis of exclusion. The cause of this disease is currently unknown. It has a variety of triggers, a variety of presentations, and it can be very hard to pin down and diagnose. Symptoms can vary widely, but the way it was described to me by my old neurologist is that there's a short circuit in the brain, and we don't know why. There's some sort of functional issue, even though the doctors can't find a structural issue. This disease used to be referred to as conversion disorder, the implication being that the patient is converting some sort of stress or emotional trauma into physical symptoms. And this became sort of stigmatized because a lot of doctors would discuss it with their patients as if it was the patient's fault, which is not only incredibly unfair, but incredibly harmful and prevented a lot of people from getting care. So as the understanding of this condition expands and broadens, a new name was necessary. And I just read this on the Mayo Clinic website, but I'm going to share this quote with you. One advantage to using the term functional neurological disorders is that it can be used to specify the type of functional neurological symptoms you have. For example, if your symptoms include problems walking, your doctor may refer to functional gait disorder or functional weakness. So as I've mentioned many times in the past, I was at one point diagnosed with a conversion disorder by a neurologist. And that ended up being a very traumatic experience for me because it was the closing of all doors. It was basically, you have a condition that's all in your head, I can't help you, and that's going to be the end of our treatment. She sent me to a cognitive behavioral therapist who told me I didn't have a conversion disorder and that there was nothing she could do to help me. And then I was back to square one. So I've been carrying around some negative feelings around the term conversion disorder, and I've been very curious to see that this new name had been applied and this new understanding is being brought to functional neurological disorder. Because the symptoms are real, the symptoms are happening to the person, and no matter the cause, that person deserves care and treatment. So I was super excited to record this conversation with Nolan, and I was thrilled to learn that Nolan's experience with functional neurological disorder is the opposite of mine with conversion disorder, where conversion disorder to me was the closing of doors, it was the ending of options. FND for Nolan has been the opening of doors and the beginning of options. It represents a validation from the medical system of very debilitating symptoms that many doctors were not willing to acknowledge the reality of. So now that no one has this diagnosis of functional neurological disorder, the tone of their treatment has totally changed. The way that doctors are interacting with them has changed. And so far, all for the better, which I was thrilled to hear. On top of that, Nolan is just awesome. So fun to talk to. Um, really, really cool person. They have a kid. They have trained their own service dog. They have a lot going on in their life. So I, I know from experience that managing something that doctors don't always take seriously, trying to find treatment is so incredibly difficult. And Nolan has an amazing attitude. And I'm really, really excited to share this conversation today. I think a lot about the different stigma that are applied to different medical conditions. How if you have something that is stigmatized in any way, it can be near impossible to get help. And I think something really interesting is happening right now in that conversion disorder has traditionally been fairly stigmatized and that doctors will just tell you this is all in your head. Whereas functional neurological disorder, while it may in some ways be you know, the same condition, it is a newer, more accurate understanding of that condition, which comes with less stigma. And I think that that's really exciting. I, I love this idea of rebranding this disease to something less stig stigmatized so that patients can find help because the symptoms are real. You know, it doesn't matter what you call it. The symptoms are still real and they can be extremely debilitating. So finding a way to get help is so important. And when the medical establishment itself makes a change to make it easier for people to find help, that excites me. So I am still waiting <laughs> to find out once and for all if I might have Wilson's disease or something similar, some sort of copper processing issue. And if I don't have that, we're going to be kind of going back to the drawing board. And functional neurological disorder is definitely something that is probably going to be on the table. And I've been a little bit afraid of that because of the way I was treated with conversion disorder. 
But talking to Nolan made me feel better because they are feeling positive and hopeful about their treatment with functional neurological disorder. And if that's what I end up being diagnosed with, if this whole Wilson's disease copper thing doesn't pan out, there is still hope for the future. There are still avenues to pursue. So we'll get to our chat with Nolan in just a few minutes. Uh, A couple things to update you on, a little bit of news. So I do not have my test results yet, obviously, from this. uh, I'm I'm doing the penicillamine challenge where I collect my urine for 24 hours and take penicillamine to see if the copper level in my urine goes up really high. If it does, that means that I have copper overload my body. I might get a diagnosis of Wilson's disease. And for the last several episodes in a row, I have told you that I might get a diagnosis next week. I mean, if this test comes back positive, I will get a diagnosis. That will be incredible. But we keep running into roadblocks. So now it looks like it's going to be a couple more weeks before I might even potentially have news. Because this is such a rare condition, my doctor didn't know how to order the test. She finally figured it out, uh, put in the order to the lab to have me pick up this jug to collect my pee in, and then put in an order to the pharmacy for the penicillamine. And then I got a call back a couple hours later saying that no pharmacies nearby carry penicillamine. Apparently, it's very rarely prescribed and it's very expensive to keep around because it often goes bad before they have the chance to actually prescribe it to someone and it's an expensive medication. So they couldn't find it. And it looks like we're going to have to special order it, and that could take a couple of weeks. So I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to do this test. It's been incredibly frustrating. I, you know, just to know that I'm either on the brink of getting a diagnosis or on the brink of eliminating something that has been on the table for over a year at this point. I just want to know. You know, I, I've been told twice that I don't have Wilson's disease after two different testings came back negative, and then told again that I might still have it if this other test comes back positive. So it's been confusing. It's been frustrating. And I just want to know, you know, I want to know if like every time I'm eating copper rich foods, am I making myself worse or not? I really just need to know. So it's going to be a little bit longer. I'm not going to bring it up on the show again until I have news. So you probably won't hear me hear me talk about it in next week's show. Hopefully by the week after that, I will have some news, but I'm just not going to bring it up until I have news. (laughs) But we do have some really exciting news this week. We have our second producer on Patreon which blows my mind. I can't even believe it. So, Chris Fowler, thank you so much for becoming a producer of the Major Pain Podcast. Fowler was on the show a couple episodes back. He is our resident pain researcher. That episode was so fascinating. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely go back in the feed and take a listen. Fowler is also an old friend from San Diego, and I'm so grateful for the support. It really means a lot. I mean, When I created the producer tier on Patreon, I did not expect anyone to sign up, let alone to have two people signed up within the first couple months of running the the Patreon at all. It's incredible. I'm so grateful. So you'll be hearing me thank Chris Fowler at the beginning of every, every episode, along with Steve Cavanaugh, our other Patreon producer. Thank you both so much for helping to make this episode of Major Pain possible. We are almost at the end of September, so at the beginning of each month, I send out gifts to everyone who has signed up at the patron and producer tiers on our Patreon campaign. So we've had two people sign up so far this month. If you want to sign up before the end of the month, now is the time to do it. You have just a couple of days. And then in the first week of October, I'll be mailing to Brooke Walters Schmidt a Major Pain coaster and to Chris Fowler a coaster and a Major Pain tote bag. If you'd like to see pictures of our gifts, you can head over to patreon.com slash Podcast. So now that the Patreon campaign has been running smoothly for a couple of months, the podcast has been going really well, I've been able to get the episodes out regularly, I am now thinking about experimenting with adding in some bonus content for the podcast. So I've created a post on the Patreon page just for the supporters of the show, so you won't be able to see it unless you are signed up on Patreon. And it's basically saying that I would like to experiment with some new bonus content. So if you have any questions for me or for Andy that we can record our answers in a bonus episode, please leave those questions on this post on Patreon. The post is called Submit Your Questions. If we don't get any questions, that's okay. But if we do, I am very interested in uh, in this idea moving forward, you know, each month posting at the beginning of the month, hey, what are your questions for a bonus episode? And then towards the end of the month, I will record a bonus episode for everyone who signed up on Patreon. 
Of course, this can be about, you know, major pains. It can be about what we talk about on this show, but it can be about anything else at all. So, uh, I just want to make myself available to make some bonus content for the people who are supporting this show. Whatever you want it to be, I'm totally fine with. If you'd like to get in on this, this is a great time, a great month to sign up on Patreon. And that website again is patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. So my hope is that this goes well, that people submit questions, and then I hope to add a new reward for all tiers on Patreon of bonus content once a month. If we don't get any questions and it doesn't go well, then I won't do it. So <laughs> so this is sort of my experiment. Each time I get that email that someone has signed up on Patreon, I get so excited because uh, this has now become my main source of income. <laughs> That's incredible. Like this podcast is so new, but we've already crossed $70 a month. So of course I have friends and family supporting me as I'm searching for answers for my medical mystery that I'm living inside of. But because I was not able to get on disability, it's become even more important to me to find a way to generate income. And you know, my big dreams are that I won't need to be on disability because this podcast could eventually support me. So, um, but even so, just getting to this point of $70 a month, that's amazing. I've never had a creative project that reached that level for uh, monthly income. Well, monthly regular income, I should say. When I was game streaming, sometimes I get some crazy donations, but it was very irregular. As a content creator, it's really important to me to create something of value that can support me. And I feel like this show could be it. And I'm so excited at the progress we've already made. So everyone who's supporting the show, thank you so much. It means so much. It's been a huge, huge help in my life. And I appreciate you so much. And the last thing I'll say before we get into our discussion with Nolan. So we have been hovering at 19 ratings on Apple Podcasts for about a month now. And I went back and checked. So I, I did this sci-fi podcast for five years and we hit 19 ratings total on the sci-fi podcast over five years. And I've only been making this podcast for a few months and we're already at 19 and I've never hit that 20. I want to hit that 20 threshold. I want to I have this show have more positive ratings and reviews in the first few months than my last show did after five years. So if you haven't left a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, please do. I'm keeping an eye on it. I want to see that even 20. <laughs> That would definitely mean a lot. So if you want to help us hit that goal, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a positive rating and review on this podcast. And with that, we're going to jump into our discussion with Nolan about functional neurological disorder. Nolan, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. So, Nolan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I am 26, and I um, am engaged. Um, I have a service dog and a five-year-old who, they both test me and bring me great love. <laughs> <laughs> so, you have a, a dog baby and a human baby. <laughs> well, I guess yep, not baby, yeah. toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, what what are you what are you into? What do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Um, okay, so uh, before I was in a wheelchair, I did roller derby and loved it. Mm. Um, I still go to the roller rink and like roll around in my chair because it's still fun. And um, what else? I used to sing. I was in a band. Oh, cool. Um, it was a um, kind of like a blues meets rock if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listening to music and, and being in the music industry was a huge part of my life and uh, raising my five-year-old. So awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into music as well. That's cool. I think we have a lot in common. We were comparing, yeah, I think we do too. <laughs> we, we, we were comparing weed. We were smoking right before we started recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into this. Nolan, what is your major pain? Uh, I have FND or um, functional neurological disorder and tons of comorbidities that come with it. What sort of comorbidities? Um, so like I have gastroparesis and um, I have urinary retention, um, uh, gait disorders, which are all kind of things that like they use to describe what FND is. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes parts of my body will go completely numb and I won't be able to feel them. Yeah. Let's, let's get into the, um, 
for people who are unfamiliar, what, what is functional neuro- neurological disorder? So it's described as, and I'm going to try to get this right, but I might get it wrong a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's described as like the, so your brain is a computer, right? And if you have something wrong with the hardware of your brain, that means that like you can see it on a scan and it, they can directly correlate like this part of your brain isn't, com- isn't working with this part of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but FND is considered the software. So instead of it being like something that you can directly see, it's kind of just, it's functional. And I, I don't know how to be more descriptive of that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you can help me out, but um, it's, it's not readily seen on a scan. It's, it's a diagnosis of elimination. Yeah. So my, my understanding is that it's like, um, I love that analogy, the computer analogy. I've been told it's, it's like something um, like being cross wired where yeah. like your brain sort of like wires in a new pathway that it shouldn't have that isn't working correctly or like a pathway is broken or something. And this is all sort of, you know, it's, there's a lot of unknowns here because, because like you said, is it is a diagnosis of exclusion. So I think a lot of people um, are diagnosed with FND with very different situations going on. And because of that, it makes it really hard to have like a overall, like this is what this is because it's a lot of different things. Well, and it's still kind of brand new in the medical community. It used yeah. to be called, um, as we were talking about earlier, it used to be called conversion disorder. Right. And it's not conversion disorder at all. It's something completely different and and just completely other. Yeah. And um, I they've really just started noticing it in the last couple years or so. And it's really new in the U.S. Um, it's... I've, I'm finding that all of the people that also have FND tend to live in Europe. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really a big deal because I, I was diagnosed with conversion disorder for, uh, we were talking right before we started recording and I've told this story before, but I'll just tell it real quick that I was diagnosed with conversion disorder. Um, and by a neurologist told I needed to see a behavioral psychologist uh, for treatment, went to the behavioral psychologist and she told me, you don't have conversion disorder. And that was the end of it. So I, for me, it was like a a door closing with my neurologist. It's like, we're not going to help you anymore. And the behavioral psychologist saying, well, I can't help you either. So then I was left with nowhere to go. So for me, it was like a really painful experience, but it's exciting to know that I, I, in the last couple of years, all of the talk about this has really shifted the new name has really made a big difference. And I think a lot of new studies are being done and, you know, a lot more is being discovered right now about FND. Like you said, it is a new, it is a new diagnosis of something that had been diagnosed as something else previously. Yeah. And, and uh, you said that it was like a door closing and for you, it was for, or for me, it was like a door was opening Wow, because like, my doctors have taken a very functional approach. This hurts. Well, let's make it not hurt. Oh, you can't do this. Well, then, you know, we'll do this. Like I stopped being able to eat and they were like, well, if you can't eat, we'll put in a feeding tube. Uh, my back started really hurting. Okay. Well then they checked to see if anything was wrong with it. Turns out I do um, have something wrong with my back. Okay. Let's fix that. And he's just like, all we can do is treat all of your complaints and hope that it gives your body enough, like alleviate some of the stress so that you can get better. And, and they, the, um, the general therapies for conversion disorder and also FND tend to be similar. They're not the same for every person, Hmm. but for me, um, behavioral therapy, um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and that's basically the re- regimen that they're going to do to, to try and um, get me into remission. Hmm. Awesome. I have so many questions. I'm so excited to pick your brain a little bit. You mentioned also gastroparesis and urinary retention. Um, and I don't really know much about either of those things. Can you tell me, tell me a little bit about what they are? 
Um, so gastroparesis is when your uh, stomach doesn't empty and absorb food the way that it's supposed to. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't did, like when I eat food, my stomach doesn't digest it. Um, and so I'm not obtaining any of the nutrients that I would be getting from having food. So I um, have a tube that goes into uh, the beginning part of my intestine and I... Um, I take in a special type of formula that um, gives me the nutrients that I need to make sure that like, even if I can't eat any food that day, I'm still being fed. Wow. How, how um, do you diagnose that? Um, so you would diagnose that through what's called a gastric emptying study. And it's where you would, um, it's usually oatmeal or an egg and it's radioactive and you <laughs> eat it. And then they take a bunch of pictures of your stomach. And I can't remember what kind of imaging it is. I'm pretty sure it's it's probably like an MRI. Yeah. But they just follow the egg sandwich down your gut, into your stomach, and then um, like take images on how it's emptying over the course of, I think it's like a couple hours. And uh, <laughs> I, I ha did not have the gastric emptying study. I actually had a scope put down my, um, put down my throat into my stomach. And they uh, said that there was lots of swelling and uh, scar tissue, um, which is, can also be an indicator. And, mm. and that's why they decided I wasn't able to eat the sandwich. Uh, I mm. actually can't tolerate the texture of eggs or oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially when yeah. they're radioactive, eating a yeah, radioactive egg. Radioactive. <laughs> that sounds like, like a superhero origin story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ate a radioactive egg and now you're Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And what about urinary retention? Um, so urinary, my urinary retention actually came after a fall. I, I, um, slipped in my tub, um, when I, uh, I was having, I was having a seizure and I slipped in my tub and cracked my back in a certain way. Oof. And, um, now I can't drain my bladder on my own. So I have a super pubic catheter, which is a catheter that goes through a hole in my lower abdomen, um, and drains urine from my body. Um, instead of voiding the natural way. Wow. Okay. So there's, is there's like something installed that you hook up the catheter to? Um, so it's, uh, there's a catheter and then you'll have, um, a bag that attaches to it. Mm -hmm. The catheter itself goes all the way into your bladder and then okay. is inflated with a balloon that holds a little bit of saline in it that keeps it from just falling out. Oh. So it's just a tube. Okay. So, but it just lives there. Yeah, it yeah, does. Okay, and I, I get gotcha. it changed every four weeks oh, or man. three weeks for me because I can't tolerate four. I just had, I talked about this recently on the podcast. I just had catheters put in for the first time for a urodynamics test and it yeah. was <laughs> awful. <laughs> I hated it. Is it, do you get yeah, used yeah, to it? Yeah, um, you do get used to it and it's a lot better that it's not like that it's in a surgical site. I don't okay. have as much pain. I could not tolerate um, the type of catheter that I think you're talking about is a Foley catheter, which goes in through your urethra. Yeah. And I, I can't tolerate that type of catheter, okay. which is why I have a surgical catheter instead. Okay. That makes sense. Absolutely. I, yeah, they put the catheter in like several times in a day and I was just like, pale with pain by the end of the day i'm like i oh, hate yeah. this it's, i don't like this it's at all not a fun thing to experience i yeah i yeah. um yeah totally so when did your when did your health journey start um so i've been very tired and thinking that something hadn't been quite right for me um ever since my daughter was born she was born in 2016 hmm. and um i was just tired all the time and could uh like having trouble walking and, um, and like being dizzy all the time, uh, but never really thought anything of it until last year, um, in, uh, November, I, uh, had, a, I ended up like waking up and I thought that I was really anxious. Um, I had a seizure that lasted, uh, 10 minutes and, um, my girlfriend called the paramedics 
And the paramedics didn't believe me or believe her. I, I still was pretty out of it at that point. Um, Why? They said that because I didn't pee on myself, it wasn't a real seizure. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Which people who have seizures do urinate on themselves, but it's not something that happens every single time and, and doesn't get to decide whether or not the seizure was real, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be clear. Yeah. So um, that the only thing that can decide if a seizure is real or not is for you to be having a seizure while your brain is being monitored. Right. Um, so, yeah, but we ended up going to the ER anyways, and I'm, I ended up not being able to uh, use my legs mm. and um, for a good while. It eventually came back, but it, yeah, it was just really rough and everything just started to go downhill. I was having seizures all the time. Nobody could get them under control. Um, and uh, I stopped being, I took that fall and then I stopped being able to use my bladder. Um, I started to shake when I would walk. Um, when I stand up, I like shake um, from side to side or like sway really badly I'm doing it right now. I get it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, um, what else was there? I would get like heaviness and, um, also my nerves would feel like they were burning. Yeah. It does so, sound very familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we started talking, Nolan said, I think we might have the same thing because I'm undiagnosed. Um, yeah. And it is, it does sound very similar for sure. Um, so this is pretty recent for you. This is like a, a big life shift that happened within the last year. Yeah, it is. It's been very hard on my family. And um, like I said before, I'm a single parent. My, my child is only five years old. So Wow. So you've been feeling a little lethargic for the past five years. And then this, this massive shift happened last November. Yep. Wow. Okay, so you start going into the diagnostic process, I'm assuming, and how did that go for you? Um, I've been through, I think the, it was the fourth neurologist I saw, or maybe the fifth, that diagnosed me. Hmm. Um, the, I was hospitalized for a little while, and it was just awful. They didn't believe me. Um, I was having, that was when I first um, was having, like, uh, bad urinary retention and they were supposed to come and cath me every um it was every eight hours but eight hours already you as you know is a long time to hold your bladder yeah. eight hours is a long time and then they weren't even coming in every eight hours they were coming in every 12 and it ended up leaving me like crying hysterically all the time yeah. in the hospital about how like I was in so much pain. Um, they didn't, uh, they didn't end up diagnosing me with anything. Um, they called me a liar, <laughs> said yeah. I needed to go to therapy, the usual. Um, and, I, I, uh, makes me so, everyone says I, that it makes me so mad. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. It's just like, why is that the usual? Why is it the usual that no yeah. one believes you? You know, it is I'm the like, usual. How did you know, you're not experiencing it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was crazy and um it it was it was really bad. I um I don't want to get too much into it because it, I'm pretty sure what they did to me I could like charge them with. Yeah. But um it was just awful. I ended up going home and um and uh my doctor started PT and OT just to kind of like help me with something, you know. Um I've slowly gotten better as it's gone along. Um I'm a little, I'm definitely more stable now. And then I, so then I decided I wanted a new neurologist. I didn't like the way, um, that, that, that was handled there in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so I got a new neurologist in the same clinic. I asked for, I asked for them to send me to like a, a like sister hospital, but they got me one like in the same clinic. And, mm. and he, when I went in there, the first words out of his mouth was, well, I talked with your other neurologist and, uh -oh. and I was like, that's not how second opinion goes. <laughs> so I, um, and then he refused to use my pronouns the whole time. I told him like what I thought I was experiencing. Doctors hate when you tell them what you think you're diagnosed with. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, for you know, sure. 
think I have this. They hate that. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's what I did. I was like, I think I have FND. I have a friend who has it. And um, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be told uh, what I thought I had. Um, and wouldn't use my pronouns when I was there in the hospital. So I decided to go to a completely different doctor. And I was like, who would I go to? Like, if I thought I had some weird, mysterious illness and I wanted them to like, like Grey's Anatomy, like montage of them, like typing away at a computer (laughs) while the, like the camera Uh, pans around. Oh my goodness. But I, I decided to go to the university of Washington because I figured they would know if anybody knows they would know. Right. Yeah. Uh, Um, so I went to the university of Washington and, um, he was like, oh, yeah, it definitely sounds like that. We're going to schedule a whole bunch of testing to um, to determine. Wow. And so he did a whole bunch of testing. And then he passed me off to another. Uh, oh, yeah, there was a couple of them that said that they knew about FND, but didn't. So I just didn't talk to them. And then and then eventually I went to the University of Washington. Yeah. But anyways, uh I went there. They did a whole bunch of testing. I had um, an, another MRI. Um, I had a um, three-day EEG. So I stayed in the hospital for a couple of days, and they monitored my brain for several days um, and determined that my seizures were non-epileptic, mm-hmm. um, which means that they aren't changing the chemistry of my brain while I have them. Yeah. So um, they're not going to make me more sick. Um, if I have several of them in a day, which is good news. Um, and then I, um, they did some physical, like neurological tests. Some people get, um, nerve conduction tests. I have not had a nerve conduction Mm, test. They hurt. Uh, they didn't think (laughs) that I needed one. So they're very painful. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah. (laughs) I've done it twice. (laughs) Wow. So. First of all, I have to say, this is a new one for me that a doctor refused to use your pronouns. That's very upsetting. That makes me very angry. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very frustrated, too. And um, I've gotten into it a lot with the different therapists. This happens to me quite quite frequently, actually. And I'm honestly surprised. And the thing is, is that I don't even, like... I'm not even that hard on about my pronouns, but like, if I'm going to be working with you for a while, you might as well know them. It's mm-hmm. kind of my thought, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it's just, yeah, it was very frustrating in, in the beginning when I first came out that almost nobody would use my pronouns. And I just, now I just don't tolerate it. If you can't use them, I'll find someone else. You know, I'm too tired to fight you for it. Yeah. I mean, you want your doctor to be, trying to heal you as a person, you know, like you are a human being who is sick and needs help and you go to your doctor for help. And if they refuse to acknowledge what you tell them about your personhood as an individual and refuse to acknowledge your disease, what use are they? You know, like what, what is the, what's the use there? It's awful. But I am so glad to hear that you have, have been treated better at the university of Washington. That's the exact experience that I had where I was like, told i was crazy over and over and then i went to the university of washington like okay well, we're gonna run a bunch of tests and see if we can figure it out and that's what that's what it should be you know like that's what you should experience and i always tell people like if you're having a hard time at your doctor do exactly what you did go find a different doctor you know and if you can go to a teaching hospital because in my experience they treat you better there and i'm really glad to hear that you did that and it worked because that's what i tell people to do and i'm so glad that it worked for you because you know i hate to send people in the wrong way yeah, it was kind of like an epiphany moment, right? And I was like, I was like, well, you know, that's the one thing that I can say for like those because the dramatic shows are just awful. It's not at all how the actual medical yeah. experience happens. Yeah. But they are good for that. Like I know that they're at like I'm more likely to find someone who's just curious about it and want to actually see it in their like teaching career. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it's, and I, it's funny because I explained that to the neurologist who, um, cause they did have a student while I was there in the hospital and boy, was he eager to learn <laughs> and he used to come in on his breaks and just ask me questions. And, um, <laughs> I like, lo- I loved the company of course. So, um, <laughs> 
but I just told them, I was like, I knew that like, I'm more likely to find someone who's just curious to know, mm. just want to know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm more likely to get the help that I need be- just because like, you're not, you're not already bogged down by all of the like red and yellow tape that comes with the medical, you know, yeah. the medical field. The establishment, um, exactly. I was a CNA, so I am. Mm. I've been in it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're at UW, you do all these tests, you find out your seizures are non-epileptic. And then what happens next? How do you get to that diagnosis of FND? So, and then I went to a neurologist who um, works with uh, gait issues mm. um, that knows a little bit more about that. And um, she has me walk around um, and like record like different types of uh, movements that I generally have. Um, she also looked into my tick because I sometimes have a vocal tick as well hmm. um, and motor ticks and kind of just determined that like, like everyone was saying, there's nothing really showing on any of the MRIs or tests or anything that's going to be like, yeah, you have a tumor and that's why you can't stop saying banana. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um so we did all that. And then she sent me to um, what's called a, a rehab neurologist. And they're going to set me up with new PT and OT that's more focused on FND. And I also let her know that I didn't want um, doctors to be pushing or advocating for me to get out of my chair. That is not something that I want to be discussing at this time. Um, and I and I won't entertain um, conversations about, well, when are you going to get out of your chair? I'm just not doing it. So. Yeah, when you can provide treatment for me that works is when, you jerk. (laughs) Yeah, uh and a lot of people always think that, like, to get better means that you get up out of your wheelchair. My wheelchair has given me so much independence in life. I do not, like, I feel better than I've felt in five years sitting in that chair. I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon. Just... You know what I mean? You don't? Oh, yeah, I do know. I say the exact same <laughs> thing. I say it's for the last five years, I haven't been able to get around until I got a wheelchair. Now I can do stuff again. And it's incredible. You know, it it completely changed my life for the better. Yeah, I, I, I love my chair. I just got my brand new chair like two weeks ago. Ooh, what'd you get? Um, it's a key rogue, which I think oh, is the same chair yeah, you have. Don't that's you? what I have. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and mine's in sunset orange. Nice. I got the white one, and now I've got these. Uh, I I got these like thick rubber rim covers that are blue. So very stylish. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard rumors that the white key rogue glows in the dark. Does your chair <gasps> glow in the dark? Not that I've noticed, but I gotta. I don't know. Do you have to like? expose it to a certain type of light and then turn the lights off right to make it glow i, I would assume so i don't know for sure yeah. but um i i did hear i did hear a rumor from my uh from my my chair builder and he Ooh. said that um he had a client that said her white chair glowed in the dark and it scared the bejesus out of her uh, when she <laughs> discovered it so wow i haven't noticed that i'll have to look for that um so so, because FND is a diagnosis of exclusion, does that mean that they basically test for everything else that they think you could have? And if they can't find that, then they diagnose you with FND? Is that how it works? Or yes. are there specific tests that point them in the direction of FND? So, there are, um, there is a lot of research coming out that says that, like, there are spe- specific tests that you can um, test for that, uh, that point to FND, but what I'm noticing is they're not really being used in practice. Hmm. Um, so like a functional MRI, which I think is an MRI that you have while you're doing something. I don't know very much about it, um, uh, because, uh, I asked them and they were like, well, we don't offer it. And I was like, well, I don't really care. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, um, there, the, I know that a functional MRI is one of the ways that you can point towards FND. And I do know that in the MRI, they're looking for lesions because mm-hmm. a, um, MS has a lot of um, comorbidities with FND. Mm-hmm. So they want to make sure that it's not MS. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they've checked for everything and then they finally give you this diagnosis of FND. And then how do, you said that was like doors opening for you. How did you feel to get that diagnosis? Um, well, I felt really validated. 
um, that, uh, you know, finally, it's at least something that I can say, you know what I mean? Absolutely. When people ask, I can say, well, it's this, I can Google it and find things that other people are experiencing. Um, I am very much a person that likes to have, um, labels for things. Um, I like to be able to say like, this is what it is here. Mm -hmm. Like, and here's all the articles I found about it and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia years ago. And at the time, that's definitely how I felt. It's like, finally, I can tell people what this is. And, you know, and it, it did feel like very freeing. And unfortunately, I got worse later and they took that diagnosis away. But for but at the time, it was like, wow, this really feels good to have. Yeah, um, there was a point in time where they were trying to point me to fibromyalgia and also lupus. Hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Okay, so you've got your diagnosis. And then what doors open? What sort of treatments do they offer? What do you do next? Um, so now I'm doing um, behavioral therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. Um and uh, I'm kind of waiting right now for them to get everything set up because they're trying to decide if they want me to come into the University of Washington for PT and OT or if they can find someone um, where I live uh, to uh, do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm finding that like all of the, the physical therapy places that I've called are like, we don't know what FND is and we don't treat that here. Mm. Well, they always say they don't treat it there. And I'm like, do you know what it is? And he was like, I don't think they do. And I'm like, okay, well, like you can learn about it. And they're like, no, we just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tough part of having a, a rare or a newly discovered disease is that a lot of people have no idea how to help you. Yeah. So you, you're waiting to get these therapies set up. You've got your diagnosis and now you're like, ready to do the next steps and just trying to trying to find the right people to help you is that is that correct yeah i have a, an amazing um behavioral therapist and it's actually quite funny because uh most of my trauma comes from childhood and i have a child a children's therapist mm. i see a children's therapist and it's great um she i've never connected with a therapist in the way that i've connected with my current therapist yeah. and we've gotten work work that would have taken me years with someone else has like taken me weeks with her and it's been really great that's um, awesome that's really great and it's quite funny um she told me that she was scared that she was petrified of dogs because so, i have a service dog right mm. and um I would have never known and she goes yeah your dog made me like not afraid of dogs and i was like that's great. Like I work really hard, you know, obviously for not to scare people. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what is the connection with, we, we were talking again before we started recording, but what, what is the connection between um, FND and trauma? Um, so FND can uh, come from um, an extensive history of um, physical or emotional trauma. Hmm. Um, or it can come from um, like grave illness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, I had kind of have a, had a mix of the two of the um, of the three. Mm -hmm. I uh, took a hard fall. I also got COVID that year, and then I um, I also have extensive trauma. Yeah. I was in foster care um, in the nineties, um, and during that time. Um, there was a lot of, um, sexual assault and, um, stuff like that, that unfortunately I was privy to, um, and a lot of just people who are in it for the money. Cause you used to get a lot of money for, to, to house a foster, a foster child. Wow. Um, and I was in foster care for, um, from the time I was three until I turned 19. So, wow. Oh, that's a whole. That's, I'm sure that's a whole story there. That's another <laughs> podcast yeah. like story that I could go into. Wow. So you have experienced a lot. So the, the trauma piece is definitely, is definitely there. Is the theory that, you know, the human body can only handle so much of any certain type of stress and that if enough stress is applied in a certain way, it can alter the function of the brain? Yeah, def I definitely believe that. And I think that it, um, I think that it really is true for me. Hmm. Um, 
yeah and i uh, uh yeah and it was just i didn't remember a lot of it and then it, it i kind of like came back into the forefront and and um and then that's when i started to really feel my symptoms wow well i really appreciate you sharing this i mean I, everything but you know this is all personal stuff that is so valuable to put out there because we're taught to hide our trauma because we're taught that it is, you know, inappropriate. But it's like, it's horrible because the best way to deal with trauma is to talk about it and to not be able to talk about it is, is, you know, is lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so you started the behavioral therapy. What sort of work do they do? Like, how do you address FND with a behavioral psychologist? So we're really just trying to treat, um, my symptoms, you know? So like we do a lot of, um, like trigger, like finding my triggers and how to avoid your triggers. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at finding my triggers, but, um, I'm addressing a lot of, of my PTSD stuff. I also have, um, borderline personality disorder. Mm. So, um, doing a lot of the, um, the, behavioral therapy and um i think it's called dbt which is the type of therapy that you do for a borderline and i don't remember what it stands for so don't ask me okay um, <laughs> but um we do we do that and um i also do a lot of like running through scenarios where i'll talk mm. about something that's happened to me during the week or that i think will happen to me in the week to come and i'll and then she'll like ask me like, how would I handle that? And I tell her, and then we would go over like my reaction and talk about like, what's an appropriate reaction and what how, ways that I can communicate with people to get better results. Interesting. And is the general idea to allow you to move through the world and the, the, with the most ease as possible to sort of lower the stresses of day-to-day -day life? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much value in in getting your stress level down because, like, just being super stressed can cause some really intense physical symptoms, you know. And I, I would never say like, "Oh, this is just stress." I hate that. I hate that. I hate when people say that. But it is true that you know that stress can have a very you know, del deleterious effect on the body. So, yeah, I, I've definitely learned for myself that um, finding ways to be chill is really important and the more I can kind of surround myself with joy and relaxation, the, the better everything becomes. Not necessarily that my symptoms are going to go away, but that managing them becomes a little easier and, um, uh, you know, it takes, takes some of the effort off of this giant weight that you're holding that is life that you're just trying to exist inside of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you do? What, what are your coping mechanisms? What do you do to... to you were living through so much. Like, there's so much going on. You've got these you know, you've got this tube and, you know, you have to manage that. Like we were going to record yesterday and you had to go to the ER to deal with this thing. You've got a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. So how do you, how do you manage all this? How do you stay afloat mentally? Sometimes I don't feel like I really am. I'm not mm. sure how I'm getting it, getting through all of this, mm. but seeing a therapist every week definitely like helps a lot. Um, I rely on being able to talk through these through scenarios um, a lot with her and having a service dog has really um, given me my quality of life back. Um, I can't speak enough on uh, the importance of service animals and um, even just training her is a service to me wow. because it gets me out of my head and I can focus on a common goal with my dog and when we achieve it we're both happy you know mm. yeah what what is the process for getting your service dog um so for me what it was is um my dog is owner trained and she's um she was adopted um there was a family in um near me that could no longer keep their dog and she just happened to have the right temperament um, so normally how it goes is that you would pick whether or not you're going to owner train your dog or program train your dog yeah. and, um, program training is really expensive. It can be up to like, uh, $22,000 is the most common that I've, uh, heard of people, uh, spending on getting a dog program trained. 
Um, and generally they would get them as a puppy and then train them. It takes about two years. Um, my dog has trained in about one. So, um, I've gotten very lucky with her. She had a lot of the basic training and, um, like good attentiveness when I got her. Um, and then, uh, it's also recommended that it be recommended to you by your doctor. Mm. I did not get it recommended to me by my doctor until after I had her and they saw how much she helped me. Um, and then I was given a prescription for her, which you don't need for the ADA, but it definitely helps because then you don't have to like argue with people all the time about your right to have a service animal. Yeah. So you, you trained your service dog yourself. Yes, I did. Wow. And what sort of things can she do for you? Um, so she does PTSD response. So she um, can stand behind me to make sure that people can't get too close. Mm. Um, she notices my triggers before I notice them and can let me know um, of triggers near me so that I can either get away or prepare for them better. Mm. Um, obviously, her presence is calming to me, um, but that's more of an emotional support thing that that doesn't make a service animal. Yeah. Um, so she, she, she can be both. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, she uh, does deep pressure therapy, which is like if I were to start to have a panic attack, she would alert would alert me to the panic attack. And then um, I would sit or lay down on the ground and she lays on me to calm my heart rate. Um, she also does seizure response. She can go get help. Um, if I'm having a seizure, she can also uh, lay on me to help the seizure calm down quicker. Um, she doesn't, uh, alert me to seizures because I already know that I have them. So, and I already know when they're coming, but, um, she also does a lot of like, um, when I'm having panic attacks, like uh, when I'm crying or like, um, if I'm trying to hurt myself, she can stop me, those kinds of things. Um, and I'm also currently training her to open doors and stuff. So oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I just I love dogs so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> her name is Madam Harley. Cute. <laughs> so you mentioned before that this has been hard on your family. Do you mind telling me a little bit about that? Yeah, my um my girlfriend who um is well, I'm engaged uh to her, so she, I guess my fiance now. Um it's been really hard for her because she didn't really sign up to be a caretaker. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she's had to take, like, take a lot of care of me, uh, which has been really hard for her. Um, my uh, parents have had to take a, a bigger role in, in caring for, um, caring for my child. Um, uh, she spends a lot of time at her, at her grandparents' house. Cause I spend a lot of time, uh, sick in bed. Yeah. Um, my child, obviously I used to, we used to hike every day. Um, and we were never inside, um, playing in puddles and building sandcastles and mud pies and, <laughs> um, foraging for things. Um, we're pagan and my child really likes to collect things for the fairies. <laughs> um, so uh, I, it's just been hard. It's been really different. Uh, I'm glad that now I have this chair. I can roll on the grass with it. So maybe I can get a little bit more done with my toddler, uh, next summer once I build up some muscles. Yeah. I mean, get, get in a wheelchair. You got to build some muscles. Like the first time I yeah. got in my wheelchair, I was like, I can go half a block. You know, I can like barely go anywhere and now I'm going up hills, you know? I Yeah. Yeah. Like I saw a picture of myself from like four years ago and I'm like, wow, I've gained some muscle. You know, this is, there's some good things that happen with wheelchairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, being chronically ill affects everyone who loves you. It doesn't just affect yourself and it's not your fault, but it's hard to not feel like it's your fault because it's you that it's happening to. So it's. It's really complicated. It, it, it affects every, everything about your life. You know, it's, it's like a, this like spider web that keeps growing and attaching to everything else around you. Yeah. So it totally makes sense that like having this diagnosis is a relief. You know, not having a diagnosis causes me constant stress. So I totally empathize with that. Do you, because you have a diagnosis of exclusion, do you ever fear that there might be something else going on? 
I don't really worry that it might be something else, but I do worry that that doesn't like, I do have these fears that like, it's not real. You know what I mean? Hmm. Where I'll be like, especially because my presentation for FND isn't like other people's. I actually have an atypical presentation. Hmm. So, um, I always worry that like, maybe that's not it. Maybe it is, you know, conversion disorder, or maybe it is like just all in my head. And I get it. I get it in my head that it's in my head. And then like something happens and I'm like, I can just will myself to walk across the room and it never happens. And then I'm like, okay, maybe it's real. (laughs) I do. I, I, (laughs) that dance goes on in my head all the time. Like when doctors tell you that what you have isn't real enough times, you start to question yourself and it's, it's poison. I hate that. It drives me crazy because like, there's, there's no such thing, you know, like if something is happening to you and causing you pain, you, it's, you are a human being who is worth being treated and you deserve to have healthcare professionals try to help you. And it's not, it's not their place to tell you whether or not what you're experiencing is real. It's their place to try to help you. And if they fail forever, they should keep trying, you know? Like, you should be able to go yeah. to doctors and ask for help. And if they can't help you, you should be able to go again and ask again. And th- for some reason, that's not how it works. It's like, if doctors can't figure you out, then they brush you off as being not real. And it's really, really harmful. You know, it, it causes you to doubt yourself. I wish we lived in a society where no matter what was going on, it was treated um, equally, you know? Because, like, if someone has, like, psychological trauma that is manifesting physically, that's real. Like, why, why would anyone say that that's not real, you know? And, like, I... And someone with compassion who wants to help that person would be so welcome in that case you know and it's not that it's not real it's just that they they can't because they can't measure it on a test they doubt its existence but in my opinion that means they they haven't run the right test yet or the test for it doesn't exist yet so if they can't find it they should try to treat you anyway you know yeah and like what even is that like yeah We didn't know, like, everyone's always talking about how science is ever evolving. Mm -hmm. So how, like, how is it that, like, your specific doctor doesn't know so it can't be real? Yeah. That's poo. (laughs) Yeah. That's poo. It's garbage. Yeah. (laughs) It's total garbage. I'm like, and then when you try to go and get a second opinion, you're always given dirty looks. And I'm like, that's literally my right. You guys mm-hmm. preach that all the time. And then when someone does it, you get mad. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's it's completely backwards. It's very it's very unscientific. And it's it's very ego-driven, I think. This idea that, like, you know, doctors are always correct. And there's I'm of two minds about this. Because, like, on the one hand, you know, doctors are lifesavers and doctors do incredible things and without doctors society would completely fall apart and if you have you know like the the monolithic effort that um doctors are taking to fight covid astonishes me against people who are unwilling to receive that help and they're still there they're still fighting they're still trying to save lives and that's incredible you know like we owe we owe so much to those people doctors and nurses you know, I mean, I really do, and I always yeah. feel so bad every time I have to go into the hospital. I'm like, I am so sorry to be taking up <laughs> literally any of your time. And they're always very grateful. And um, I bring my service animals, so sometimes I let them sneak a couple pets to de-stress. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I always feel bad, and like they are doing such a great job out there. And I know that it's because they're stressed and they've been lied to so many times. But like. You should still try to believe people, you know? Yeah, don't totally. Let it, don't let it poison you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the other side to it is that doctors are also devaluing people constantly, you know? <laughs> like devaluing people who come in and ask for help and are told that they can't be helped because there's nothing wrong. And that's, it's just not okay. It's not right. You know, it, it's, ho- it's a horrible experience to live through. And pretty much every single person, I think maybe one exception of the episodes that I've done on this podcast so far have experienced that. And these are people who like, you know, 
a lot of these people eventually find diagnoses like MS or NMO or, um, you know, scleroderma or something that they finally find a diagnosis and finally can get treatment. And then the doctors like completely change their story. So it's like, if the doctors can't find something on the test, it's your fault as the patient until the doctors find the, some other doctor finds the thing. And then they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is very serious. Yeah, we need to treat this, you know? So, yeah, yeah there, there's a huge disconnect there. And that's like the, the main thing that I really feel the need to like keep screaming at the world is like people who are sick deserve care, you know? And one thing that I learned um, that I was told and I preach to everybody who will listen is if if you think that something is wrong and a doctor refuses to run a test um, that you are asking for, make sure you tell them, I want that noted in the chart. I mm. want your refusal noted in the chart. I've gotten so many tests ran or been like, then all of a sudden they change their story and, and like start helping me just because I'm like, I want that noted in my chart. Because if I can, like, if I can prove that you decided that you didn't want to do that, even if you don't take responsibility for it and you just say, did not run said test, then mm. I can be like, when I actually have something wrong with me and it could have been solved six months ago, I I can like say like, looky here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great tip. That's a new one for me. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Make them put it in writing that they refused service because otherwise they won't, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, that's a really good tip. So how do you feel about the future now? You've You've got this diagnosis. You've got these um, these therapies coming up, it sounds like you're excited about that. Are you feeling hopeful and, um, you know, and are, are you looking forward in a positive way? Um, I really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am always nervous to say, like, say that I am cause I'm, I'm kind of a pessimist. It's horrible, but, <laughs> um, I am excited and I'm, I have, now that I have the new chair and I have like, you know, people are helping me out to get what I need. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I will be able to get to a place where I can be able to do things like I used to do before. And if I don't, at least I'm hoping that, you know, OT will at least teach me how to do more things from my wheelchair and I can find different ways to do it. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I think about a lot. It's like, you know, at the very beginning of my journey, I was just like, I want to get back to where I was before. And now I don't even, I never think about that anymore. Now I just think about like, I want to know what it is and know if I have a way to treat it and then find the best version of me possible, you know, no matter what, like if I'm in a wheelchair, that's fine. I, I love my wheelchair. I've, I've been very surprised with how, how much I enjoy using it because it gives me my freedom and it, yeah. it is, it is in no way, um, it is in no way adding to the weight of my life. It is it is lifting some of that weight up. So, yeah, I mean, whatever the future holds, if I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, then what's important is, like, being happy. And there's definitely paths to happiness using a wheelchair. It's, like, brought mostly happiness to my life so far. So, that yeah. it's really changed my perspective. It's, like, it doesn't really matter, you know what's going on as long as you're happy, as long as you can find ways to be happy. And that can be so hard inside of chronic illness, but it sounds like you have a really great support structure and people that love you, a, a great dog. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, like you have some awesome love in your life to, to keep you going, which is really fantastic. So what, what would you say to someone, this is my last question for you, what would you say to someone who has just been diagnosed with FND or thinks they might have FND and is having a hard time fighting the system, um, what would you tell them to keep them going? Um, so, well, things that have worked for me that I would suggest is joining Facebook groups about what you think your diagnosis is. Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and that trick about noting things in the chart, that's how I got things done. Mm -hmm. um, and just take it slow and don't be afraid to just rest and reach out for help. I've had to ask help for some really strange things, but um, you, 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 it's the answer is no. If you never ask, you know what I mean? You'd be surprised what someone's willing to help you do if you ask in, in a good way, you know? Absolutely. Well, Nolan, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing so much about what you've been going through. 
Um, I wish you all the best in the future. And I'm excited for you that you've got these new things coming up. And let's stay in touch. I'd love to I'd love to hear about how things are going. Would you like to plug anything like your TikTok or or anything else like that? Um, the TikTok is the full Monty. Um, I think it's eight <laughs> at the end. And there's always <laughs> some random number, right? Um, but yeah, my name is Nolan Nord. Um, I am uh, also have a blog, uh, Growing Up Fostered, on Facebook. Oh, cool, awesome! It's usually it sounds like you've lived a really uh, incredible life so far, and you're oh yeah, you're super cool. I mean, the, the moment we popped on the camera, I was like, I'm gonna enjoy talking to this person. So, I really, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters-Schmidt, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh and Chris Fowler. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.